Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. And we are going to jump right in to the Word of God. Let's go ahead and pray together as we do that. Father, we thank you today for your Word. And I just pray for every person that tunes in. I pray, God, for your blessing. We believe that as we open the Word, we are blessed. We're blessed as we read it. We're blessed as we study it. And even more so as we obey it. And that's what you've said through your Word, that those who obey, that's where the blessing is comes from. And so I just pray today, God, that you would stir in us obedient hearts. We want to follow you. Would you cleanse us from thoughts that are trying to infiltrate our minds and our actions? We ask that, Lord, our actions would be right and righteous as we follow you, King Jesus. I pray for your blessing and for your presence during this time as we study your word. Help us to understand it. Help us to know it. Help us to apply it. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and read starting in verse 1. I'm going to read 25 verses. That's what we're going to get through today. We're going to leave the rest for a different time. Maybe if I go through the book of Mark again, I'll get to the verses that I'm not able to share, but that won't happen today. So here's what it says, Mark chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, He began to teach again by the sea. This is the Sea of Galilee. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. He was teaching them many things in parables, and he was saying to them in his teaching, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and it immediately sprang up because it had no depth of soil. After the sun had risen, it was scorched and be- and it had because it had no root, and it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, get everything in parables. And then he quotes Isaiah 6, 9, So that while seeing they may see and not perceive, while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. Verse 13, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, And these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones in whom the seed was sown on the rocky places. When they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. And these are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And just for a moment, I wanted to mention that this 
story, the parable of the sower, is also found in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, and the book of Luke, and I believe it's chapter 8. I could be wrong. And in there, it, it actually describes this a little bit different, almost the same, and it talks about the deceitfulness, the, the deceitfulness of riches, the cares and the worries of this life, and one of them also mentions the pleasures of this life. And so I just think the little detail sometimes matters and helps us to relate in the way in which maybe we struggle and having to give those things over to the Lord. Verse 20, and those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has, it shall be taken away. Now, I want to just remind you by way of simple review, chapter 3 that we had studied last week, or that's where we left off, and we were looking at how Jesus went into the synagogue and he healed a man with a withered hand. Now, this was, I believe, his fifth confrontation with the religious leaders, mentioning there the Pharisees, but nonetheless, of those five confrontations, there were various religious leaders, various groups that were involved confronting Jesus, the Sabbath was a really big deal, and so they were really looking to see what Jesus would do. We know Jesus heals, and he's confronting their understanding of the Sabbath. Is it right to do good on the Sabbath, or to do evil, or to do nothing? And so he basically just confronts their understanding. He sort of leaves everybody in awe, certainly because he's a miracle worker, and so we looked at that, and then we did not get to the portion of Mark chapter 4, where Jesus um, appoints the twelve. Now, Jesus had called his disciples, but he had not appointed them as his disciples. So there's two separate things that go on there. Mark has this expedited uh, portion of Scripture, whereas there's a little more detail for both of those scenarios in Luke and or Matthew, or there's different detail in each of them. It doesn't vary a ton, but I I just have seen that there's more detail in those. Mark actually just kind of, it's like bam, bam, bam. And so he appoints the disciples, and we didn't read or study that portion. And we jump right into Mark chapter 4. And when we do, what we see is Jesus is right along the Sea of Galilee, and he begins teaching. Huge crowd starts to gather, and so he gets into a boat, and he pushes out. He sits down like a rabbi would typically do. He pushes out a little bit into shallow water, and so you can imagine various people are gathered on the shore, and they're listening to Jesus teach from the boat in the water in shallow water. And so this just gives him this opportunity where he's looking at a crowd, and I, I want that picture in your mind. Jesus is looking at a crowd of people. Now, in a crowd of people, there will be people there for different reasons. There will be people there for short amounts of time, long amount of time, some are looking for something, others are looking for him, others want to know if he's truly the Messiah. So there's this, this mixed bag of people that's listening to him, and Jesus is, in a way, by telling these types of parables, he's kind of sifting through the various 
motivations, the various individuals and the hearts that are even listening to him. He's clarifying some of these types of things. And I think there's an underlying call that's embedded into the parable, that's embedded into not only this parable, but any parable, and that is the issue of humility. I'm going to refer back to it a couple different times. But as we go through this, Jesus teaches what's a very well-known parable called usually the parable of the sower. And many people would say that um, if you don't understand this parable, you won't understand the rest of the parables. Why? Because Jesus actually says that in Matthew chapter 13. If you do not understand this one, you will not understand the rest of them. And he's saying that because it's really referring back to the clear principles of his kingdom and his way and people having ears to hear. Notice that he says it twice. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That could be an offensive thing to say. People had physical ears, but what he was talking about was, do you have spiritual ears? Well, was one person more special than another? No. What separates one person from another, in my opinion, is found in verse 11. And that's where the disciples actually inquire of the Lord. None of them really understand what Jesus is trying to say in verses 1 through 10. And that's why he does give an explanation, but he doesn't give an explanation until he is asked by his disciples. Isn't that interesting? And Jesus says to them in verse 11 that it is granted to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to everyone else it is not. They will only hear in parables. What's the difference? A person that presses in and inquires of the Lord versus someone that doesn't. It actually shows that the disciple, there's something to the disciples that I think sometimes we don't give them credit for. You often wonder probably, why did Jesus choose the disciples? Why was it these individuals and not anyone else? Well, he had his reasons, but what you do notice about the disciples, and we must give them credit for, is they had a humility that is not just seen in words, but it's seen in their actions. Humility is not merely words. You know, a person could appear weak and timid, and, uh, and we might say that person's very humble, but in reality, they're not humble in the way that they act. Only God truly knows if a person has the humility that he's looking for. We see humility in the disciples by the way that they respond to Jesus. But this parable is actually very, very powerful. It's very important. It's also referenced, as I said, in Luke chapter 8, Matthew chapter 13. And so here's what Jesus goes about explaining. He's saying there's a parable. This parable is about a farmer who sows seed into the field. The seed represents the word of the kingdom. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. And he speaks of four different types of soils, which represent four different hearts or heart responses, which I will give uh, an overview of. And this is what I want to do. I basically just want to summarize this teaching up because there is a lot of detail, but it is a parable. And a parable is basically a story or an illustration that has a truth cast alongside of it or embedded into it. This was a common way for people to teach. Jesus taught many different parables. In fact, the book of Luke has many parables. The book of Matthew has many parables. I think the book of Luke has the most, but you'll find that this was a common way for Jesus to teach. Rabbis would also teach this way. It wasn't uncommon. Jesus, I think some scholars say that he taught a third in parables. I don't know if that's fully true, maybe more like 20% of Jesus' teaching, or at least what we have recorded. 
But this was a way of casting a truth alongside an analogy, an illustration. And so those that were listening, everybody's listening, but those who were truly listening for what he was saying and inquiring of the Lord, those were the ones that were going to hear the truth. Those are the ones that were going to mine the gold and get to what Jesus is saying. So in this parable, he's talking about the word, the seed is the word of the kingdom. The farmer sows the seed, and there's four different hearts, four different soils, heart responses. Let's just call it that. And these are the different four, and that, that's what I'm going to explain. The first one, Jesus uh, says to us that the farmer sows along the path, or another translation would say beside the road. And these are those who hear the word, but it is immediately taken by the enemy. When he, before he explains it, he says the birds of the air, and then when he explains it, he says that it's Satan, or it's the enemy comes and steals it before it can bear any fruit or any response whatsoever. So this is a person that hears the word of the kingdom, the kingdom meaning the rule and the reign of God. And I want to explain that really quickly because it's not just the word of God, although certainly that is true that the word of God is sown and it either does or does not bear fruit depending upon the soil of a person's heart. That's true, but specifically think about the backdrop of Jesus entering into this world. There's a certain kind of thinking about the Torah. There's a certain kind of thinking about eschatology. There's a certain kind of thinking about the Messiah, about the King, and how the kingdom is going to be established. And now Jesus comes preaching the kingdom of God is here. This is what he says. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's so close you can touch it. The King is in your midst. The kingdom is in your midst. Jesus begins to preach that. That is not their eschatology. That is not what they understand. They're thinking that when the Messiah comes, that he's going to set up and establish his kingdom. Israel is going to come alongside to rule and to reign. They're going to overthrow the Roman government and the Roman oppression, and they're going to enter into that that period of time of glory for which they were appointed. And so they have this eschatology that is based upon their interpretation of the Torah. Jesus then comes, really preaches the kingdom of God is here, and they don't perceive the kingdom the way in which Jesus comes nor preaches. And so Jesus clearly comes just as the scriptures convey, but it wasn't their understanding. And so when he's talking about the word, the seed, the word of the kingdom is sown, we're talking about the rule and the reign of God. Those that receive the word of the kingdom, that Jesus is the king, the kingdom has come, you need to follow the king and enter into his kingdom as you follow the king, those that receive that are going to actually bear fruit. Those that don't, won't. And that's very clear. It doesn't matter if you know the Torah. It doesn't matter if you're a good law-abiding Jew, Orthodox Jew. It doesn't matter. What matters is, are you going to receive the word of the kingdom? Now, sometimes we share this parable of the sower, and we usually reference the word of God. And I don't think that's necessarily, at least in context, what Jesus is is meaning right there in the immediate context. 
And this is important because it actually has embedded into it an understanding of what was transpiring while they were hearing it, because they're all looking for the Messiah to be a certain person and to come a certain way. And so they're fighting against what Jesus represents and how he represents the kingdom. We know that he came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. We understand that there was a first and there is a second coming. He inaugurated his kingdom in his first coming. He consummates it in his second. He's going to rule and reign, but our role now is to actually bow our knee as we receive him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, meaning our sin. So when he preaches and we receive the word of the kingdom, we are yielding and bowing to the King Jesus entering into his kingdom, following him as Lord. Therefore, we are under his rule and his reign in this life, not just in the life to come, although that is true. That's not just what we're seeking. And so we and those who yield to Jesus, King Jesus, are going to bear much fruit. So the word of the kingdom is sown, and the first heart or heart response that's represented that he speaks about is those that it's sown along the path. Now in Israel, if you've gone to Israel before, you notice that there are all of these different, what would be kind of like these rolling hills. They're not quite like a hill that we understand here where we live here in Federal Way, Washington. But as you've kind of been to these various places in Israel, you'll see what they're, he's actually referring to. So they would have a visual for what Jesus is talking about. When the farmer goes out, he just sow seed in plenty. And so the seed's going to go all over the place, right? But it's going to catch into the good soil. So he's talking about the various paths that it's going to fall on the various places. And the first is along the path. And as I said, the enemy comes and snatches it because there's no root whatsoever. The second that he refers to is the rocky places. This is a person who hears the word, initially receives it with joys, very excited, hears, this is wonderful, I'm responding to Jesus, but they have no firm root in themselves so that when affliction or persecution come, they will fall away. Therefore, they may seem as a follower until times of difficulty increase, or shall we say there's a cost for their faith, which shows exactly who and where they are. And so I just want you to remember once again, I'm putting back into your mind this scenario. Jesus is in a boat, shallow water, Sea of Galilee, all of these people. There's a whole crowd that's on the shore listening to him, and he's really sifting through the various individuals that are there and that are listening to him. And I can imagine people in their mind wondering not only what he's saying, but who he's referring to. And those that don't want to be anybody but the good soil, potentially if they at least understand he's talking about people, those are the ones that are going to ask him, and the other ones are going to just be like, well, I have no idea, and they're going to really just be representative of what, he's, of what he's talking about right here. So the rocky places, receive with joy, no firm root in themselves, affliction, persecution comes, and they fall away. And this is something that we see. Number three, he talks about the seed that's sown among the thorns. This is the third heart response. And these are those who hear the word, but the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, the pleasures of this life choke the word from producing any real fruit or what it's supposed to produce, right? So the seed has a certain 
production that when it's planted into the ground and it's nurtured properly, it's going to bear a certain kind of fruit. And this type of soil, this type of heart is just consumed with so many other things that it just chokes out the ability of the seed to bear any fruit whatsoever. And so it's concerned about everything a whole lot more than what the seed of the kingdom is is actually about. And so then he talks about the fourth, the good soil. Those These are those who hear the word, receive the word, endure with the word, and as a result, they bear fruit. And he goes on to say 30, 60, or 100 fold of what has been sown. In other words, it these people are fruitful. You know, as they endure through the process of bearing fruit, they will be fruitful. After Jesus tells the parable and before he explains it to his disciples, he says something interesting and he said, and I want to highlight this once again, I already alluded to it or shared it with you in verse 11. He says, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but those outside get everything in parables so that Isaiah chapter six and verse nine, and this is what he says uh, specifically, I want to just reiterate that um, one more time, so that while seeing they may see but not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. Listen, this is so important because there are a lot of listeners. There's a lot of crowd, but not all are the committed. And this is where Jesus is sifting through all the different people and the various responses, and he's clarifying something, at least for his disciples, if not anyone who wishes to be his disciples. So here we have our hearts are the soil, and it seems clear to me at least that humility is a massive underlining principle for all that Jesus is saying. He clarifies that the condition of our hearts, the soil, is what makes or breaks the fruitfulness of God's kingdom and his word in our lives. The more we allow in our hearts, the more of God we will not hear, we will not know, and we will not understand. Therefore, it will render our lives unfruitful. And so I just want to bring out a few practical principles from this passage that I think will help us today. And I don't have a lot, I just have what I think I see, or at least what strikes me when I think through this passage, the parable of the sower. And the first one is this. Receiving from God is all about the condition of our hearts. Now, I say this all the time. I talk about the condition of our hearts because this is primary. For Jesus' teaching, he's constantly talking about the heart, whether it's the Sermon on the Mount, whether it's the parables, whether it's the contrast that he's giving between one person or another. Um, I believe it's so important that we understand underneath all of this is this principle of humility. People that, I mean, this is just what I'm thinking. There, there are the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. There's various groups, and let's just, we could just pick on the, the uh, teachers of the law, for example. We're talking about people who have studied their whole life. We're talking about people who have learned the word their whole life. They've studied the Torah. They were you know, from very young. They've memorized various parts of the Torah, in some cases, whole books of the Torah, for sure. Some say they had to memorize the first five books of the Bible, which was the Torah. And so here you have people that have memorized the Torah. They they understand the principles of God. The king, okay, the king is standing right in front of them, and he is saying that if you do not have this kind of humility to receive the king, everything that you've learned, 
cannot be fruitful. I mean, I just just picture that in your mind. It, it, you've spent your entire life learning about God, and then Jesus stands, the Messiah stands right in front of you, and you can't see, perceive, or receive from him the king and the kingdom, and he's saying that anybody, no matter who they are, no matter what their background, no matter how much knowledge they have, that person will be utterly unfruitful because of how they receive the word of the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God through the King Jesus Christ. Now, I just think of this and I go, man, this is why humility is the underlying principle, because it will require humility. We must yield our hearts and our minds and our lives to King Jesus and follow him because everything that's going to come in this life, in conflict, and resist what we're doing, who we're following, what we believe, that's going to happen. I mean, that seed's got to have such root in our lives. We've got to have such yieldedness to the king and his kingdom because of what comes against us, because of the resistance that's going to come into our lives, both internally and externally. I believe that humility is just such an important piece. And so this is all about the condition of our hearts. This is about cultivating that humility in our lives. And we want to do that every day of our life, don't we? Number two, I see that um, a principle at work here in this passage, the seed is extremely powerful. Jesus identifies this, I've already said, referring to the rule and the reign of God in and through the person of Christ. A person that yields to him and his word will become a fruitful disciple, and those that do not are likened to blind, deaf, and crippled, spiritually speaking. Blind, deaf, and crippled, spiritually. The seed, though, is powerful. There's power in the seed. Think about the seed. Something so small has so much power to produce something so big. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about seeds. I don't plant a lot of stuff. I have a lot of plants in my yard, but I didn't plant them, and somebody else did, and they've become these wonderful, beautiful plants and trees that I have that I take care of now that I water and we nurture and we prune. But just to think that all of that started from these small little seeds. The power of the seed was evident, but it was the soil that was required to receive the seed so that it could become what it is. And that's really what Jesus is talking about. The confidence of the seed is already there. This is how powerful the kingdom, the word of the kingdom is. But when a person yields to that seed, when a person's heart is receptive and can receive what Jesus wants to do in a person's life, then the seed can produce what the seed always produces. The seed, if it's, a, if it's, a, if it's for an oak tree, that is what it's going to produce, and it's meant to produce that thing. And so as long as it goes into a proper soil and it is nurtured, and this would speak of endurance, as long as it goes into good soil and it is nurtured properly, it will become an oak tree. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Anybody that has that good soil, they're going to see the fruit that Jesus intends. And that's what it's all about. So the seed is powerful. Be reminded of that. It's not just about, um, you know, will we see fruit? It's that we will see fruit as we cultivate 
the soil of our hearts, no doubt, because of how powerful the seed is. Number three, pressing into Jesus is so essential. This is what we see in the disciples in verse 10 that I referred to. Remember, the disciples were the ones who came out of the crowd, and they were the committed. They exemplified that by asking Jesus a question. This is crucial. We're wanting to know Jesus. We're wanting to know his ways because we want to follow him. The, the disciples exhibited this in their behavior. Many people came for the miracles. Many in the book of John, Jesus calls out the crowd and said, some of you are here because of the loaves and the fish. You're not here because of who I am. You're here because of what you want. The survival mode, we all have it. We want something instead of someone. And so Jesus actually calls out the crowds at various times because of that very thing. And so what we know about that is that pressing into Jesus is essential. We see that the disciples, maybe they're just asking questions, but isn't that such a crucial piece of humility? We don't know, he does know. We don't have, he does have. So what does that mean for us? We've got to be people of prayer. We've got to be people that study this book. And listen, I know I push this onto you, whoever listens to me. And if you listen to me regularly, you're just like, Pastor Ben, I know, just stop saying it. No, I'm never going to stop saying it. I, I believe that the power of our spiritual life lies in our discipleship. And we are in charge primarily of our discipleship as it pertains to our heart. I'm not suggesting for a second that the seed isn't powerful. I'm not saying that Jesus isn't sovereign. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit isn't at work. Certainly, He is at work. Certainly, the Word is powerful. But we get to cultivate the soil of our hearts. We yield. We humble ourselves. We receive. We get up in the morning and spend time in God's Word. One time, I remember the Lord spoke to me very clearly, and I was reading the passage where the Bible says, you know, Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was. And he responds, you are to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, all of the prophets, the commandments and the prophets can hang on these two things, loving God and loving people. Well, anyways, I was struggling with getting up in the morning and studying the word of God. And the Lord said to me that I just heard in my heart, love the Lord with all of your strength. And I thought about that, my strength, right? Now, certainly we want to walk in the strength of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We want to be strong in the Lord and not in and of ourselves. We don't want to be self-sufficient. But there is a certain strength that we all have. We all get up and we go to work and we make food and we do the things that we do. We get in the car, we, we fix things in our home. We have a certain amount of energy. We're not limitless people, by the way. You know this. We all have limitations. We have limitation as it pertains to time. We have limitation as it pertains to our physical strength and body. And so it says, love the Lord with all your strength. And I heard the Lord say to me one time, it is in within your strength to set your alarm and get up early in the morning. Come on, somebody. You know that hits you right, right between the eyes. That's what I heard the Lord say to me as I was really just waffling over getting up early. Now, I always spent time with the Lord, but I would kind of try to have to catch up throughout the day, and every now and again it would slip away, and I would end up kind of reading my Bible as I'm falling asleep kind of thing. And 
I wasn't giving God my fir- the first fruits. I wasn't giving God my best. I was giving God some kind of leftovers. I was giving God some second, third, fifth thing. You know, I'd rather watch television in the evening, and by the time I'm ready to read my Bible, I'm falling asleep. So for me, it was, it was such a conviction because the Lord spoke to me and said, love, it is in your strength to get up early in the morning and to set your alarm. Maybe some of you go to work at four. I don't know what to say to you, but certainly we can give God some of our better time. We can give God some of our best time. And that's really what it's all about. It's loving Him with our strength. We have, it's not legalistic to give God our best. It's just not. I mean, some people have misunderstood what that means. You know, we, we give God our best just by outward appearance. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in quality relationship, you know, you don't want to give somebody your worst or your leftovers. You want to give them your best. And so we don't want to struggle with that. We want to yield to the Lord because pressing into Him is so essential. The the disciples exhibited that. That's what they did. Right after Jesus was done teaching, they pressed in. We don't have physically Jesus with us today. We have the Holy Spirit as our teacher, as our guide, as our comforter. He's the one who brings revelation. He reminds us of what Jesus said. But we have the Word of God, and we need to be people that study to show ourselves approved, those that rightly divide the Word of truth. This is what Paul told Timothy before he died. Paul or Timothy, I want you to rightly divide the word of truth. This was so crucial. And so I just think for us, we've got to be people that recognize that fruit isn't just going to grow in our life because we said yes to Jesus and because we say hallelujah, or even just because we worship once in a while. Fruit is going to grow in our life because we're constantly being filled with the word of God, which is seed. And that seed will go deep inside of us, or it will nurture the seed that's already there. And that is what I'm, that's what I'm advocating. That's what I'm encouraging. Um, I'm going to beat a dead horse. I'm going to beat, I'm going to beat a dead horse until it's more than dead. I, I want every person to be in the word of God. And that's the point of the daily word is to encourage this regular study of God's Word. That's what it's all about. So pressing into Jesus will cause a fruitfulness that all of us need, all of us want. And so number four um, that I see from this passage, temptations are lurking at every corner. And we need to be aware that as we follow Jesus, there are many things that are going to come against us. There are many things that are going to happen to us. And there are many things that will be introduced right in front of us, temptations, trials, difficulties. Jesus specifically mentions persecution and affliction. These two are going to come. Now, that could be sickness, disease, ailments that that go unhealed. That could mean some kind of persecution as a result of following Jesus. So those two things cause people to fall away. So they're joyful until they have to pay some kind of price in order to follow Jesus. And it's just not something that they want to do. And so we need to, in advance, be guarded on in those areas of our life. So here's what we've got to remember. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. In other words, we've got to have an eternal perspective. That's what that is all about as far as I'm concerned. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Whatever you see, whatever you feel, whatever you experience, you've got to remember that Jesus came and sowed his life into this world and he overcame it so that we could have eternal life. Our truth, our understanding, 
That revelation that we have to have is that Jesus has overcome all that we experience, all that we feel, all that sets itself against us. And when we're in him and we're following him, yes, we're going to have trial and we're going to have trouble in this life. You will have trouble, John chapter 16, but take heart, have courage, stand strong. Why? Jesus has overcome it and we are in Jesus. And so that's what it's all about. So we've got to be reminded right now before anything even happens to us. You may be going through something right now, but if you're not, you're going to. And so those are two elements that he talks about. And then he goes on to say the deceitfulness of riches, the cares and the pleasures and the worries of this life, this life. To me, it's all about having an eternal perspective that whatever happens in this life, whatever focuses us in this life, we've got to have a bigger view. There's a macro picture that is going on right now. Jesus gave his life for more than for us just to have what some would say a great life, an abundant life, an abundant life. Having life is not just about having great things outwardly speaking, humanly speaking. It's that we can come back into our created order, the design for which God originally created us, which is relationship. John 17, Jesus says, this is eternal life that you may know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Relationship with God is what eternal life is all about. And so we get caught up by looking at and focusing on lesser things, the things of this life. Colossians chapter 3 is very clear about this. Set your mind, set your mind, your attitude, your affections on things above and not on things below. Set our minds. We've got to be thinking, having an eternal perspective, having heavenly thinking, right? Some people will say that, that you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I don't know what they're talking about. I would say that people are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. You know what I mean? I mean, we've got to get back to thinking about the king and kingdom. We've got to get back to sowing our life for what Jesus gave his life for. We've got to get back to that. And it is so easy to get distracted and distorted in the world in which we're living. And my point in all of this is to say that temptations, difficulties, trials, they're lurking around every corner. You live in the world that I live in, and there are different agendas because there are different kingdoms, but we are part of a kingdom with a king who has clarified what our purpose actually is, and that is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the king has come and he is coming back and that everybody who bows their knee and confesses him as Lord is going to be with him in his kingdom. That is the good news of the kingdom. And that is what we have to be about. That is what we are all about. And so Jesus reminds us that those who give themselves to lesser things are not going to bear fruit. And number five, and finally, fruitfulness takes time. This parable shows a picture of sowing and testing and proving and fruitfulness. Again, I'm not a farmer. I didn't grow up in some kind of agrarian culture, and so I don't know seed time harvest. I, I go to the store and I buy stuff that's already finished. I buy finished products. And so I don't fully appreciate, just to be honest, the all that goes into creating such things. I mean, sure, I've planted stuff and seen it grow. I've, I've done a little bit of that, but not, not near enough to appreciate the patience of the farmer. 
James chapter 5, I think it is, talks about the patience of the farmer who sows the seed. Prior to sowing the seed, tills the soil, sows the seed, nurtures the seed, prays for the early and the late rains, and then harvests the crop. This, this farmer understands it's not just about tilling the soil. It's not just about sowing the seed. It's not just about nurturing the seed. It's also about harvesting the crop. And so every piece of that process matters. And so what I'm trying to say is, is that for us to have a fruitfulness, it does require endurance. It does require patience. It does take time. And so we've got to stop thinking this immediate thing And that's what you notice from the other parts of this passage. Did you notice how it says that when the seed was initially sown, immediately they had joy, immediately something happened, but over a period of time, they lost it. Why? They did not have endurance. They did not have the patience of the farmer to stay focused on this entire process of seeing a fruitfulness. That's what it's all about. So here it is, endurance. We not only be humble, but we stay humble. We, we don't only start well, but we finish well. We understand that we're in something and it's long-term. That's why I've referred to having an eternal perspective. We've got to have a bigger view than just what's in front of us. We've got to understand that storms come and go. We've got to understand that different things happen, but we stand strong in the Lord and we keep moving forward because we're patient farmers and we get the process that's before us. It doesn't mean that everything that happens is encouraging. It doesn't mean that everything's easy, but what it does mean is that it's not just about how we immediately feel. It's not just about what we immediately experience. It's that we keep our hand on the plow and we don't look back. We don't look to our right or left. We don't give our attention and our focus to lesser things. We give them to Jesus day in and day out. And I want to tell you how you do that, ladies and gentlemen, my friends. I want to tell you exactly how we do that. We do that by staying in the Word of God. This continues to pour out that water on the seed. Number one. Number two, we stay listening to the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? We've got to cultivate our prayer life. You don't have to pray for hours a day. If you do, that's awesome. But what I would strongly urge and encourage you to do is to stay in your prayer closet. Have time with the Lord. Stay in the secret place. Constantly put your requests before God. This is how you squash the anxieties and the fears and the worries and the cares in your life. You know, Jesus even talked about that. He said the worries and the cares of this life. How do you and I deal with the worries and the fears and the cares and all of that stuff or the pleasures, the temptations that are trying to take us out? How do we deal with that stuff? We give it to God through prayer and we listen to the Holy Spirit who will remind us of who God is. He will remind us of who we are. He will remind us of what the Word says, but we've got to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. And as we do that, we will hear His voice more and more. People always ask me, how do you hear the Lord? How do you hear the voice of God? There's no trick to hearing the voice of God. It's just about being the patient farmer. It's, a, it's just about nurturing the seed. It's just about taking the time. And so this, I think, is actually a principle of hearing the voice of God in our, in our lives as well. Of course, you knew I was going to come out with that. It's, it's something that I've written on and speak a lot about, but I see it throughout so much of Scripture. And I think the final thing that I would say to us today before we close is that another way that we stay faithful, or we, we cultivate our faithfulness to see fruitfulness, 
is that we stay connected to God's church. Let, let me just say this, and this isn't, I'm not saying this to be self-serving. I'm not saying this to get you to do something that I want you to do, but I believe this with all of my heart, especially in a time like we are in today, is I have watched over my 21 years of following Jesus that people that lose their connection to the local church and God's way of doing things. I didn't, the, the Bible is the one that teaches that there are elders, that there are pastors, that there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, that there are deacons, that there are mi- those that minister, that there are people, that God has a structure and an order. It's not about a hierarchy. It's about a family where God designates specific things for the protection and the care and the nurturing of the body. This is part of why I do the daily word is not because I have more knowledge than everyone. It's because I believe that God will give me wisdom as I pray and as I study. He'll give me pieces that matter. He'll give me things that matter to keep us connected. That's what this is all about. I know there are so many people that have more knowledge than I do, but that's not what I'm just trying to put forward. It's that as a shepherd, I want to continue to help us as we as we got as we navigate through this time together. I want to guide and I want to navigate through this so that we stay connected. No matter how we got to do that. But I just want to say, do not lose your connection to the local church because I have watched so many people lose their connection to the local church, either by de- either maybe it was by default or it was by design or decision. They chose to walk away and say, well, I'm part of the church universal or I'm part of the church, the, the, the church as Jesus sees it, and uh, they don't identify with the local church anymore. I I believe that is not a biblical approach. And so I strongly urge and encourage each one of us, the word, the spirit, and the people of God. Those three elements keep us strong in our discipleship moving forward for king and kingdom. I believe that with all of my heart. It's what I have seen. It's what I have experienced. It's what I believe the word actually teaches. And so amen to all of that. Be encouraged today. We are going to be those that God can find faithful in order for us to be fruitful, but we want to be fruitful not just for ourselves. We want to be fruitful to bring glory to God, and that's what our life is all about, about, to bring the most glory to God that we possibly can. And so as we read this passage, I want to encourage you to read this passage as those who are the good soil. If, If you're struggling with anything less than being that right now, just give it over to God. Just give it over to him right now. And in his grace and his goodness and in his love for us, clearly proving that through Jesus coming, living, dying, rising again, giving us precious promises that are true, all we do is give our hearts and our lives over to him today. That is all we need to do. And we just know that we have a loving Savior, an amazing Father who is walking with us, speaking to us. And aren't you thankful for that today? I know I am. Every day that I wake up, no matter what we go through, We have a loving Father that will walk with us no matter where we are, all the way to where we need to be. And that's what we stay encouraged with today. Let me go ahead and pray for you as we we close Mark chapter 4. I won't get to the rest, obviously, but God bless you. Let's pray together today that the Lord would make us faithful. And as a result of that, the seed is so powerful, we will be fruitful. Amen. Father, we thank you today, and I just thank you for everybody that's tuning in to the Daily Word in this broadcast. I pray for your blessing. I pray for your strength. God, we pray that you would 
Continue to encourage our hearts in faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for the fruitfulness that comes because it's the seed of the kingdom that is so powerful. We want to have that soft soil, hearts that are yielded, hearts that are receptive, hearts that have that good soil that could nurture the seed of the kingdom, that your rule and your reign and that your kingdom could flourish through our lives in everything that we say and do. And so we give ourselves over to you fresh today. Use our lives for your glorious purposes. I thank you, Lord. Encourage the hearts of everyone that is tuning in right now. We love you and we look forward to what you're going to do in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.